probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome back to the Thing Minute podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me again today is... Hey, Kyle Pinion. Uh, I'm the entertainment editor for ComicsBeat.com and editor-in-chief for GeekRex.com. Awesome. So today we are talking about Minute 47, which begins with Fuchs explaining that it can take over any life form, that it wants to take over life forms on Earth, and then ends a minute later with uh, McCready saying, go get the doc, as he's ready to jump into action again. It's actually a pretty perfect minute, uh, the, dramatically, the way it hits. You know, yeah. Sometimes I can imagine some of these minutes probably end in the middle of scenes and stuff. But I, I, I watched this minute a few times, and I was pretty surprised at how punctuated uh, that final moment was. Yeah, it is kind of a nice, just random cut there. It works pretty well. <laughs> um, yeah, sometimes they line up pretty nicely. It's uh, it's interesting to see when that happens. But most of the time, we're like in the middle of a sentence or something like that. <laughs> but yeah, so the beginning of this uh, this minute, we we have Fuchs kind of explaining and McCready getting even more irritated. And there we get one of my favorite kind of flowery uh, uh, notes from Blair's journal, which is the whole, the chameleon strikes in the dark. Which is uh, kind of a cool, cool phrase. I can definitely see that uh, in a um, in a Silver Age comic book. I think. <laughs> oh, definitely. Uh, maybe even like uh, a pulpy Golden Age one. Uh, you know, the the shadow uh, uh, or uh, some sort of like pre Batman Cape Crusader thing. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, so he you know he's going on with that, and then finally he tells he gets to the important part of the journal, which I'm not sure why he didn't just go straight to that, but um he tells McCready that although the the remains of the dog are burned, and I guess he's maybe talking about this uh this one that's in the storage room with uh Bennings too that uh even though it's burned, it's not dead yet that there's some cellular activity still going on, so it's a pretty dramatic moment when they he reveals to McCready basically that the creature is not dead because it's interesting watching this movie uh, without having seen it before. I mean, obviously, you know, it's we know it's a movie and we're only, you know, less than halfway through the movie. So it's pretty unlikely that the creature's really been defeated. But in universe, to them, there's nothing to, to uh, you know, make them think that they kind of nightmare isn't over. Uh, you know, they, they kind of burned the dog creature and, and figured out what it is. And they've, they've even gone back and found the UFO. So I think at this point, McCready felt like, you know, there was maybe you know, that he could, uh, you know, rest easy. But this uh, this is definitely a pretty big revelation for the movie. Yeah, well, it's, it's again, like we said in the previous minute, uh, it's also Blair's uh, ingenious ability to understand <laughs> these aliens. Uh, some, somehow he knows it's not dead and uh, it will uh, continue to uh, become be a problem. You know what I really liked, though, about that scene in mm-hmm. the ski dozer? Is actually the, the there's there's two things. Kurt Russell's performance, I think, really kind of shines through in an interesting way. I think I think 
you know, you, you have him sort of brash and braggadocious at the beginning. He's like, oh, is he cracking up? Uh, kind of sarcastic and, you know, doing sort of that Kurt Russell tough guy thing he does. And then when he realizes on a dime the, the ramifications of this creature still being alive and what it could mean for their own well-being there at the base, uh, it, 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 his reaction is not big. It's it's a very sort of silent, knowing uh underplaying of the scene, which I really appreciate. And I think it just helps me sort of value Kurt Russell as a uh, central player anyway. I, I realize he was one of uh, uh, John Carpenter's favorites in that era. And I think with good reason. And I think both Carpenter and Russell kind of locked in right at that moment. And uh, I think help uh, sell it in a different direction than I think many lesser filmmakers would take and lesser actors as well. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think um, we talked about this a little bit with Wilford Brimley a few weeks back that, you know, there there's a lot of subtlety in, in a lot of these scenes with, uh, with the performances in terms of rather than kind of having them very bombastically, you know, kind of revealing their thoughts, there's a lot of like scenes of people just kind of you can see them thinking through the problem or thinking through what, what information they just received. And yeah, that's something that normally in, in a movie like this, we would either get some kind of cutaway immediately from, or, you know, they'd just be kind of explained away immediately. But yeah, it's a very kind of pensive moment for McCready rather than, you know, him being like, what, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, it's also just, you know, credit to, to, to the ability to take the quiet road as as mm-hmm. a dramatist, which, I, you know, I don't think horror filmmakers necessarily ever do. So uh, I think that's what really sets this movie apart from a lot of the others. Sure. Yeah, this is a, you know, most people, when you talk about the thing, most people talk about the creatures and the crazy kind of gory uh, transformations and things like that. But I think... You know, that stuff works so well because of the its counterpoint to scenes like this that are very and I mean, we're about to have that happen within this minute where we have one of those scenes counterpoint, you know, immediately right afterwards to these very quiet kind of subtle reveals to something big and, and bold. So, yeah, I think it's the, the combination of the two and playing against each other. That, that's one of the things that makes this movie so unique. So, yeah, we get that reveal, and then uh, Windows kind of uh, strolls back into the storage room casually. He's playing with the keys again, just kind of, you know, another just very subtle hint at, at who's got the keys at this moment, uh, even though we don't know that that's an important thing yet. <laughs> um, so then he kind of starts to uh, he starts to hear some kind of slimy noise and turns his head, and we get this great, like, swelling organ music, too, that's just very classic horror, but it's, it's, it's that kind of... Uh, horror organ music I always associate with this movie now because it's so so strongly used here. But yeah, so he he looks over and, and uh sees uh Peter Maloney as Bennings uh with his with his shirt off and covered in tentacles and slimy goop. <laughs> um and I think uh for, just from a trivia uh standpoint this is pretty interesting in that they did not bring Rob Bottin in to do this scene because he was so far behind on some of the more important effects shots that uh, they basically just grabbed as many kind of fake tentacles from other from other stuff they could find and used uh, KY orange KY jelly and just sort of covered <laughs> Peter Maloney with that and, and set this up. Wait, wait, that's a, that's actually his body. It's not a it's not a it's not a mannequin or yeah, a that's dummy? that's really him. Believe it or oh not. Oh my god, man! It it looks like. Yeah, it, uh, I'll have to look at that again because I, I could have swore that was just like one of those like 
lookalike dummy mm-hmm. mannequins that they use in horror all the time. That's that's incredible. Yeah, I always thought it was too, and it's I, it's funny, but I guess it is a credit to Peter Maloney and and the you know just the sloppy cheap effects that they were doing. That <laughs> he definitely looks very like lifeless and and you know kind of floppy and gross. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you know, again, the, one of the things I, I dug too was you, you you say it sort of echoes back to classic horror, and I guess it does kind of do that Hitchcocky thing where the camera pans over the, the sort of carnage mm-hmm. uh, without necessarily uh, sort of bit without showing you directly what what has happened to the character. Yeah. And it pans over this very sort of gelatinous looking red blood um, that uh, looks a lot thicker than any blood I think I've ever seen. <laughs> but uh, it pans over it. And then you, of course, get over to to that very dead covered uh version of peter maloney there that uh i i it was a cool way that that was that was set up but i i particularly like the way he sort of played with the audience's expectations of oh god what is it oh god what happened yes. oh what's happening to him and uh that's a that's a that's a that's a, a a cool way to set up a horror beat yes it's it there's this scene's got a lot of restraint and a lot of suspense in that you know, we, we know Windows sees something, but it's like a solid 20 seconds before we see what he's seeing. Like we get that long pan down on the uh, on the bloody clothes, which, you know, this is, I guess, the first time you kind of see that 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 aspect of it, that it kind of rips through the clothes. Uh, but like you say, we don't see what actually happened. We just see, you know, a bunch of clothes covered in ketchup, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. um, and And then, you know, we get him slowly looking over and and we even zoom in on him after he's already seen it. Uh, and then finally cut over to Peter Maloney and, and actually see what's going on. So, yeah, there's this, like, huge amount of suspense in this scene, too, because you don't get to see it immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and again, I think we get back to that idea of it being sort of a sexualized scene, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, in the last minute, we we sort of hinted at that. But this is more or less uh, a sort of uh, almost, I guess, fellatio kind of uh, meets S and M kind of thing happening that, uh, that, 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 you know, could provide some sort of sense of submission or, uh, even sort of, um, I don't know. It's like homoeroticism in a way, uh, that, 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 uh, is, is, is present really in only certain types of horror films. It, it almost kind of highlights the Lovecraftian element of it all, which was never, which was always kind of, uh, open to uh, uh you know rape <laughs> just put it, <laughs> put it very clearly uh there's a and, reason alan moore likes uh, lovecraft so much so yeah, <laughs> yeah and and just and, and but but uh, but so it's just like alien you know yes. where where ridley scott had what is basically a penis monster uh, you know f- you know fighting a woman uh, th- this is sort of the uh this almost feels like a different take on that where it's a monster uh, of phallic tendencies going after men. Yes, yeah, I definitely think um, you know, aliens was o- or alien, excuse me, was only three yeah, yeah. came out three years before this, so there's definitely some ties in there with that whole you know a lot a lot of people can you can see alien as a uh, metaphor for male rape and and that kind of thing too with the with the chest burster and the face yeah. hugger and all that and th- this this movie in general really does have a feel of kind of this like. You know, it's an all male cast. There, there are a lot of kind of you know parallels between you know AIDS and uh, and and what was going on at the time with that too. So there's definitely, I think it's very um, purpose purposeful that this scene has that sort of bondage, uh, you know, male rape 
feel to it that he, you know, he's got a tentacle coming out of his mouth. He's like the way he's sitting in the chair and is kind of, it is like he's tied up in the chair with the tentacles. Like, you know, that's all, I feel like that's all very, very intentional in, in terms of kind of, you know, some of the, some of the more, um, subtler ideas that, uh, that John Carpenter was going for outside of making a, a creepy monster movie. <laughs> Let's see. I need flares, a parka, kerosene, dog food. Wow, who knew moving to an Antarctic base would be so expensive? And I haven't even started looking for roller skates and giant hats yet. It's a good thing I'm using Amazon so I can get the best price and get this stuff fast. And since I'm using thethingminute.com slash Amazon, a small portion of my purchase goes to help The Thing Minute to help support the podcast. Now if I can just get some of the listeners to use thethingminute.com slash Amazon, I might just be able to afford that flamethrower. So yeah, I do love uh, at the at the climax of that scene we get uh, that organ goes up to kind of its full pitch and then uh, it cuts off immediately as we cut to the next scene and we hear Windows drop the keys. So that was something that actually um, I read David Udall, the uh, sound supervisor, that they that the keys were in the original cut, but they they upped it like way higher than it normally would be uh, just because they know that later later in the movie, figuring out who had the keys and, and who was able to get to the blood is, uh, um, you know, one of those kind of MacGuffins that... Um, you know, drives the plot forward. So I thought that was interesting that I never noticed any of this stuff with the keys in this scene, but it, it is, uh, they, they played it up. They, it's funny to me that they play it up very carefully for something that you'd probably never notice. Although there are all kinds of other timeline, um, you know, what you could maybe consider plot holes, some, some stuff that doesn't quite make sense in the timeline. If you really look at it with a magnifying glass, but the, this little element of the keys, they were very careful about. <laughs> and it's funny to, to think that, um, I mean, this was before an era where people would watch and rewatch and rewatch movies to catch these little things. So it, it's funny what they were very anal retentive about. Yeah, <laughs> expecting people to just catch it right away. That's that. It's it's uh, it's pretty pretty funny. Yeah. So I, I did want to mention too that um, Stuart Cohen, who's one of the producers on the film, uh, brought it up a lot that he has this amazing blog that I, I link to a lot, um, where he kind of goes through his memories of, of the production and pre-production and post and uh, lots of kind of interesting articles that he's put together about what, what happened during the filming of this movie. And he has one particular really interesting one about all these kind of uh, added scenes and things that John Carpenter changed really late in the process. And uh, for this one, uh, uh, he says that the whole point of this, uh, this scene and showing Bennings getting assimilated like that was to make a visual connection between the man and the monster. So to actually show like a midway point between a person and an imitation. And I think this, this scene and, and the one following does a really good job of that and, and definitely establishes that in a, in a really, you know, visually interesting way. Yeah. Well, I mean, you didn't have anything before that. I mean, you had them, had it imitating a dog that right. we never saw the original dog. Uh, so we didn't quite see how it worked up to this point. Uh, I mean, we saw, we've seen the after effect, but never the end pro- process. So uh, I think that is uh, a very helpful scene that uh, I, th- I think certainly helps it connect sort of the sort of the immeasurable horror of it all rather than just having the point A to point D thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this this uh, this minute does that. And uh, tomorrow's minute especially is a really iconic one that really sets the stage. So we'll, we'll definitely get into that, too. But I did want to mention, uh, again, the TV version. I thought there was some kind of funny stuff in, in, uh, in it for this minute where after uh, uh, Fuchs finishes reading the journal, 
uh, when when we can't see him when we're looking at at Mac and when we get like you said that very kind of subtle moment with where Kurt Russell's really you know doing a great job of you know giving us that kind of pensive moment uh, instead of just letting that ride the TV version has Fuchs saying um, Mac I still can't forget that Blair's a great scientist <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guess just trying to convince him that it's legit I don't know it's just such a weird like why again you know just another one of those things and and uh, again, of course, they have to censor it. So when um, when uh, Windows is looking at Bennings and says, oh, holy shit, in the uh, TV version, he says, holy smokes, <laughs> which is like, you know, if I saw that, that's probably not what I would say. <laughs> uh, I, 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 you know, it's funny how often uh, how often I've seen uh, shit substituted for sm- or smoke substituted for shit uh, <laughs> on a regular basis. Uh, the. Uh, I think it was maybe 16 candles where I saw some, I think it was either 16 candles or pretty in pink. And, uh, there's a scene where the father comes in and he goes, Holy smokes. (laughs) 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 They can barely, they they can barely cover it up. But, uh, yeah, that, uh, the edit TV edits are great. They definitely have to do some gymnastics to, uh, to get around some of that stuff. It's pretty entertaining. (laughs) Wait, wait. What's the what's the one from uh, from, from uh, the Big Lebowski? Uh, this is what it's like when you meet a stranger in the Alps. Yeah, find a stranger in the Alps. Find <laughs> a stranger in the Alps. <laughs> yeah, we did a uh, um, actually uh, uh, some some friends of ours uh, when Jenny and Liam were on the show. We talked a lot about TV edits and uh, and we we were talking about the Scarface one with um, uh, it's, this whole city's a big chicken waiting to get plucked. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what a gig. I, I would love to be the guy that, that, that rewrites dialogue. Yes. Like yes. I think that would be very, a very fun job, especially now when I think it's, it's one of those things where now it's a, a, a thing that the pop culture is, is a little bit more aware of. So you could probably have some more fun with it instead of just trying to cover things up <laughs> and people would probably appreciate it in some way. <laughs> oh man I, I don't think they even do that anymore though right now they just sort of blank just sort of blank out the words yeah probably yeah i mean at this point at this point though maybe we're even you know with cable if it's on cable television they may not even bother anymore yeah that's true yeah airplane edits may be the only place you get that stuff now i don't know <laughs> yeah dude mad men dropped an f-bomb once so i i think uh i think i think uh, we, we've entered a new era that's true. <laughs> All right. So I think that's uh, that's more or less everything I had for Minute 47. Uh, anything else you wanted to mention? No, that's all I've got, but uh, def- definitely uh, definitely a cool scene. Yeah. So, uh, cool. So I think that'll wrap up Minute 47, but don't forget that you can always check us out on Facebook and Twitter at The Thing Minute, so you can join in the conversation there and give us your theories about what uh, what's going on in the movie at this part and all that kind of good stuff. So uh, check that out, and, and don't forget to come back tomorrow for another episode of The Thing Minutes. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out. Harper signing out.